As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Arsenal is in a fight with Tottenham, Manchester United, and West Ham United for the last of the top four spots in the English Premier League. That, of course, would mean qualification to the Champions League and all of the prestige and money that comes with it. Arsenal plays Chelsea today in a hugely important game in that race for fourth, and the guys over at the Athletic Football Podcast had James McNicholas on to talk about what this next stretch of games means for Arsenal in the short and long term. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic, and this is Soccer Every Day for Wednesday, April 20th. First, as usual, it's your TV guide for today. All times are Eastern. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have Chelsea playing Arsenal at 2.45 p.m. That is on USA Network, but it is just one of a logjam of four really, really good, really, really important games that are happening at right around the same time today. So good luck. Get out all your all the extra screens that you can at 3 p.m. Manchester City hosting Brighton and Hove Albion. On its face, not the most appetizing matchup competitive-wise, but Manchester City needs every single win that they can get because they're in that title race with Liverpool. That is on Peacock once again at 3 p.m. And then we have two cup semifinals in the European continent at 2.45 p.m. in the DFB Pokal in Germany. RB Leipzig hosting Union Berlin. That is on ESPN2. The winner of this game faces SC Freiburg. And the interesting thing about this game and really this competition is whoever wins this competition, it'll be their first major honor, at least in the modern era, because Bayern isn't in it and Dortmund isn't isn't in it anymore. This will be Freiburg's first ever cup final and either RB Leipzig or Union Berlin will have a great chance to add a bit of major silverware to their a trophy cabinet. At 3 p.m., Juventus takes on Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia semifinal. The winner faces Inter Milan in the final. That is on CBS Sports Network and Paramount+. Plus. Moving to North America, there are two good games in Liga MX tonight. At 10 p.m., America taking on Leon. America is back in good form. That will be on Tudene and Univision. And then at 10.06 p.m., Monterey taking on Atlas. That's number four and number five in the league. Two traditionally very good teams. That'll be on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Deportes. There is also, I should say, a lot of U.S. Open Cup games. Now MLS teams are in the mix. They're playing some lower division counterparts. Always a chance for some really fun uh, cup upsets there. Those games are happening pretty much straight 
all night long from 6 p.m. The last kickoff happens at about 10.30 and all are on ESPN+. Plus. I'm not going to read off all the games that are happening right here, but if I had to choose one, and I don't know why I'm choosing this game as like the game to highlight in this, I would say Orlando City hosting Tampa Bay Rowdies. I, I don't know why. I just think those are two interesting teams. And frankly, they have a pretty good jersey matchup, the Orlando City purple and the Tampa Bay Rowdies green and gold. It'll be pretty fun to watch, I think. That'll be at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. All right, let's send it over to a segment from Tuesday's Athletic Football Podcast with host Mark Chapman. Well, on to Arsenal. James McNicholas covers the club for The Athletic uh, and joins us now. Are you enjoying this race for fourth place? (laughs) I was until about a fortnight ago, and it's all sort of slightly gone wrong for me since then. But it is interesting. I mean, you know... uh, there, there are these three teams uh, contesting it, all flawed, all got their problems. Uh, and I guess it will ultimately be won by the, the best of a bad bunch. Just so we don't get loads of abuse, are, are, are we are we ruling West Ham out? Oh, I have done that, haven't I? <laughs> I know, I'm just, try, just trying to protect you. No, I'll, I'll take that one. I'll, I'll say that I've done that. I think, you know, uh, Europe, I think it, it might be a sufficient distraction for them to be ruled out of this stage. They've had a brilliant season, but I just think as we approach crunch time, I think it's going to be between those other three. Here's the slightly odd thing in all of this, Adam. For all clubs, all these three, let's say, although you could use West Ham as an example in the Europa League this season. Arguably, for all of them, it might be more fun to not finish fourth, actually. And if they finish fifth or sixth and and played Europa League football next season, actually, it might be a better season for them. So when we're talking about this race for fourth, boardrooms are looking at it from a financial point of view and fans are looking at it in the hope that that means they can then attract Declan Rice, for want of a better example. I think the biggest con the Premier League has, has produced over the last 10-15 years is convincing us that finishing fourth matters, you know, this race for fourth. But you can't really dispute, you know, if you're Mikel Arteta, Antonio Conte or Eric Ten Hag going into Manchester United, your aspirations are are helped by being in the Champions League in terms of who you can recruit, who you can keep at the club, what you're able to do from a wage structure point of view. I think, you know, some of the players, though it doesn't always look like it watching, you know, Arsenal, Man United at the moment, I think quite a lot of them will probably be in line for wage reductions if they fall out of the Champions League. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case at Arsenal, certainly is at Manchester United. You know, there's a stake in it for players, for managers, for the board, you know, to get into that top four. And I think what it gives, particularly for those clubs like Tottenham, United, Arsenal, that consider themselves coming, it's you know it's, it shows a positive direction of travel. And I think, particularly for Arteta, it would be a real affirmation of this thing might work. Whereas if he ends up sixth, you're a bit like, we put a lot of faith in him and what's it all for? This season feels like a particular opportunity for Arsenal because... They're coming through a season where they haven't had any European football whatsoever. Uh, And actually, I think history shows that can be a bit of a benefit. We've seen the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea in the past benefit from that kind of schedule. And I think Arsenal have for the vast majority of the season. Uh, They've had a relatively light fixture list. And I think it's suited them. It's enabled them to field their first choice 11, have quite a consistent team. And on top of that as well, you're talking about seasons in which both Manchester United and Tottenham have sacked managers. So things have certainly gone in Arsenal's favour and I think it kind of opened the door to the top four and Champions League qualification for them. 
Uh, and that door now, they appear to be doing quite a good job of, of closing it themselves. So it, it would be, as Adam says, quite an underwhelming finish to the season. I think at the start of the season, many Arsenal fans probably would have looked at a top six place as some kind of progress. But having been so close to the Champions League, uh, to lose it at this point would be, like I say, very underwhelming. If you take that step back, and I know they have been so close to the Champions League spot and they still might get that Champions League spot, but from having no European football to finishing fifth to some of the signings that they made at the start of the season to another season under the belt for Saka or, you know, Tierney until he got injured, whatever it may be. If you were to take a step back, you'd probably go more positives than negatives, wouldn't you? I think there's something to that for sure. I mean, I think if they got into the Champions League this season, they would be kind of ahead of schedule. Uh, and I think that that might induce some problems for them next year. I've kind of been watching this team thinking, I do not know how they would handle a campaign where they were fighting on the, the Premier League front and the Champions League front. I mean, Arsenal's squad is very small and we're seeing that now. It'd be a huge undertaking in the summer in order to get them ready for that sort of season. Um, so, uh, yes, it would be a step forward. I think the thing is that how you finish a season is so important in kind of determining sentiment and how people feel about it. And I think Arsenal actually have had a pretty consistent campaign until this point, but it's in danger of collapse. And unfortunately, if that's how it's end, I feel like that's how people will remember it. And that's what could be a problem for Arteta, certainly as far as the fan base is concerned. You know, I think people were really uh, energised and prepared to give him a chance. But if it's another diminuendo at the end of the season, I do worry that some of that patience will evaporate. You wrote last week about Arsenal's January gambles and that they've left them in the hands of fate what were those gambles and what could they have done differently the main thing was that they didn't bring anybody in you know they they needed a center forward and a central midfielder they were relatively open about that Mikel Arteta spoke about it saying you know we need to maximize every transfer window at this point in the project every opportunity we can to improve the squad we've got to take it uh, they didn't they decided they couldn't get the players they wanted and they'd hold fire until the summer now there is an argument that's kind of a sensible strategy, but it has left them light because what they did on the other side of the coin, they also let a lot of players go. Pierre-Rick Aubameyang is obviously uh, the one that's a slight embarrassment at the moment with the amount of goals he's scoring for Barcelona, but things were clearly broken between him and the club. Listen, I can completely accept letting Aubameyang go. I think the decision to not bring anybody in to replace him, you know, you don't necessarily have to land the star name, the £100 million striker who's going to lead the line. At the current point in time, all you need really is someone who provides a more consistent, reliable option than Eddie Nketiah. And Arsenal didn't do that. And I think it's left them looking light. They've lost Thomas Partey in midfield. Again, they didn't get anyone in there. And I just think we're seeing some of the weakness of the squad exposed. They had a great opportunity in January. They were in a, such a strong position. They could have pushed on and really kind of cemented their grip on that top four place. They didn't take it. And it's a gamble that, as you suggest, I, I, look, I think it's catching up with them now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Why did they not take it? What you know, was it did Arteta want those extra players? Was he happier with a small squad? Because we sometimes I think the instincts of fans sometimes is say, why hasn't the club done this? Why hasn't the board done that? And a lot of these managers, you know, you look at the size of Man City's squad relative to previous years, it's a bit smaller. Sometimes the managers are actually happier, uh, I suppose, managing a smaller group. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good point. And there have been times this season where they've benefited from having that smaller group. Last season, they had this huge bloated squad they couldn't even register certain players. You know, you may remember the likes of Meza Ozil, Socrates, weren't even named in the competitive 25-man squads. And, and Arsenal did make a decision, especially without European football, to have a more streamlined group. They felt it'd be easier to have everybody feel connected, part of it. You've got less unhappy people on the fringes. And I think that side of it has worked out for them. There's been a great spirit in the camp and they've really bonded. There's been a togetherness. But when it comes to January... Certainly everything Arteta said publicly suggested that he wanted additions. He was pretty bullish about it, about the need for Arsenal to push on. Now, it didn't happen. And, you know, what I understand is that it was a strategic decision. They felt like they had their targets who weren't attainable in January. They were prepared to wait for them until the summer. But that was a really high stakes gamble, I think, given what was at play. And it looks like it won't work out. But maybe, you know, as has been suggested... But as Mark says, maybe that this is because they accept that if the next step is the top six rather than the top four, then, hey, that's part of the plan and we're prepared to show that patience. Our faith in the manager isn't going anywhere. Maybe they're just taking a long-term view. And to be honest, Arsenal have been criticised a lot for not doing that. It's tricky because they're in a position now where they, they probably have done that, but equally in the short term, it may cost them. And also, the fans of Champions League clubs who are already in next season's Champions League will probably laugh at me here and suggest I'm just grasping at straws. But, Adam, there is an argument that, uh, and certainly you could look at it from a Manchester United point of view here, that it, maybe if you're not in the Champions League, you, you might get players with a bit more of the so-called right mentality of why they want why they want to come and join or play or whatever if you're looking at hunger and desire and what and what they want to build. And you could say the same thing for Arsenal and you could say the same thing for Tottenham as well. To an extent. I mean, I think, you know, Manchester United's case, they've often, when they've fallen out of the Champions League, ended up just paying a lot more to get those better those better players and, and really destabilizing their wage bill. The challenge for them this summer, if you know, if um, they do fall out of the Champions League, is as you say to try and get those young, hungry, not not as obvious players, you know, as the ones they're currently being linked with, perhaps. But it depends what stage of players' development you get them at. If you, you know, when Man United signed Paul Pogba, I think they were in the Europa League, um, and they give you know obviously a huge contract, huge agents fee, and, and that kind of set the tone for like the next few years in terms of. Well, if he's on that, then he has to be on that, and he, and the other one has to be on that. So it's it's not it's not straightforward the recruitment side of it. And the flip side is, you know, last year Man United were in the Champions League for a second consecutive year. They felt okay. Now's the time to really kick on and get world class players: Varane, Ronaldo, Sancho, finished article. And sometimes that doesn't work. So I think it's probably a broader question about just how good 
each individual club is at identifying talent and, and recruiting. That is something that Arsenal, I think, have done well this season. I, I think the strategy in terms of the recruitment has been good. And, you know, Adam mentioned Manchester United players staring down the barrel of a, a wage cut, potentially, if they don't make the Champions League. I think kind of the inverse is true at Arsenal, where they've let go a lot of players who maybe had played in the Champions League towards the end of their career. The guys they brought in, they've never been at that level. You know, you're thinking of the signings they made in the summer, uh, the likes of White, Ramsdale and others, the academy players, Saka, Smithrow. Realistically, these guys have never been Champions League footballers. If they were to get there, they'd probably expect a wage hike or there'll be big renegotiations on some of those contracts, Saka and Martinelli due for talks in the summer. Um, so I don't think you can question the motivation of the group. Uh, the question is, I think, the depth and the quality. And, and we're seeing that maybe in, in some of these recent results. Just a final one. Um, if, if Arsenal don't get fourth, is the worst result Tottenham getting fourth? And I don't, I don't, mean, that as a, I don't mean that as a North London rivalry. I actually mean that as in a looking at similar players in the summer and and how actually your circum you know both in london both great stadiums etc etc there's a lot of stuff that's very similar yeah but if one has champions league football and one doesn't then that's the difference between the two clubs i think you're probably right in that respect and you know united being the commercial powerhouse that they are they'll all end up being Manchester united they're always going to have that pulling power um, Spurs, obviously, they've got their stadium debt, but the Champions League would go a long way towards helping them uh, deal with that and give them budget to spend. And they are looking at the same players. I mean, the guys that Spurs brought in in January. Kulisevsky is a player that Arsenal watched really, really closely and, and liked a lot. Benton Kerr, they'd watched since he was a teenager. Um, you can go back to the summer. Arsenal and Spurs were both looking at Emerson Royale and Takahiro Tomiyasu. They ended up with one each. They are fishing in the same waters. And uh, I, I think if Spurs were to get you know, the, the boost of the reputation, the finances the Champions League brings... That might be a problem for Arsenal. Right, James, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the season, if you can. I'll try. Thank you to the Athletic Football Podcast for that. If you want more like that on soccer from a UK perspective, you can listen to that full show wherever you're listening to this one. Just search for the Athletic Football Podcast. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. And hey, guess what? We're on YouTube now. Every time I talk to one of our writers, we'll throw that up on YouTube alongside episodes of Full Time with Meg Linehan and Allocation Disorder. It's sort of your one-stop shop to see all of our faces talking soccer all the time, just in case that's something you absolutely need in your life, which it should be. It's the World Cup year, and it's a World Cup year next year, too. Get into it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Happy soccer to you all. <laughs>